The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, Day Al Mohammed will have an extensive legislative update and learn about the monthly monetary support program. But first, the 45th annual convention of the American Council of the Blind will begin on Saturday, July 8th in Jacksonville, Florida. ACB President Chris Gray is excited about this year's program and about some changes to the convention schedule. For many years, we've had exhibits ending at noon on Wednesday. This year, they're going to go until noon on Thursday. So the exhibitors are happy about this, we're happy about this, and hopefully it will be better for convention attendees, especially throughout Wednesday. People won't be leaving, and there'll be uh, exhibits for one more half a day. The program itself begins on Sunday evening, and uh, as you know, people have been complaining for years about the long, long Sunday evening session. We're experimenting this year. We're going to move some of the awards of ACB, which we've had on Sunday for ceremonial reasons and to make that a special night. But we've decided to try and continue that ceremonial nature for the first part of Monday morning and present a number of the awards between 9.15 and 9.45 on Monday morning. Without giving them to you in any particular order, let me tell you some of the convention program items that might be of particular interest to people. We've had a request from many, many ACB members to do a significant program item on disaster preparedness. So we're going to do that. The scholarship committee has asked to have scholarships occur earlier in the day. Scholarship winners haven't had enough time to make brief thank yous. So we're going to have scholarships as the first program item after the business session from 8.30 to 9.15 on Tuesday. So each daily session will begin at 8.30? Each session begins at 8.30, and the 8.30 to 9.05 part is business. Then 9.05 to 9.15 is an officer report on Monday through Thursday, and then we begin the real business at 9.15. Whether it's official business of the organization or convention program business, depends on the day. One highlight I'm particularly happy about is that, uh, as you may know, there was a recent definitive biography released of Louis Braille, the, the inventor of the Braille reading and writing system. It was done by Michael Mellor, who edited Matilda Ziegler magazine for over 20 years. Michael, in conjunction with the National Braille Press, did many years of research on Louis Braille, unearthed many letters that had not before been translated or included as biographical data on Louis Braille. And Michael will be speaking to ACB on Wednesday morning. We'll be doing a convention program item on the New Freedom Initiatives, which is a whole group of, of funding resources primarily available to people at the local level. It relates to transportation and, if used correctly, could allow ACB members to tap into pots of money for, as I understand it, things like paratransit, taxi programs, and 
service delivery issues in transportation that could be very helpful to people. So we're going to do probably a half-hour, 45-minute session on the New Freedom Initiative. We're also going to have a program item presented by Kathy Martinez of the World Institute on Disabilities regarding the International Treaty on the Disabled. This has been a major piece of work undertaken by the United Nations over the past three to five years, and the treaty is coming close to being a reality. Kathy will tell us what it is, what it means for disabled people around the world. So those are some highlights, anyway, of, of what we're going to be doing during Convention Week. I understand that some things that have traditionally been held on the closing Saturday have been relocated to other times during the week. Yes, they have. The diabetes seminar has been moved from the ending Saturday back to the afternoon on Sunday, and they're hoping to get more attendance and to help the ACB Diabetics in Action grow as an organization for that. And we have made a decision, Mike, that we will definitely not be meeting on Saturday. As it happens in Jacksonville, we would have had to pay quite an exorbitant additional cost, even to schedule the possibility of meeting on Saturday. So my fingers are already crossed <laughs> on both hands. We've got to get our business done by the end of the day on Friday because we don't have an option and we have to a meet big, Saturday. We have a big, busy election schedule coming up, Yes, too. we do. Yes, we have six elections for board members and three board of publications members as well. For that reason, there won't be any breakout sessions on Thursday this year, and we will begin the business session of ACB after the 10.30 break on Thursday morning. What will listeners to ACB Radio hear during Convention Week? ACB Radio will be having two channels going during the convention. ACB Radio Interactive will be doing live broadcasting much of the time during the afternoon and evening of the convention. I'm not sure if they'll be broadcasting in the morning or not. ACB Radio Mainstream will broadcast all the convention sessions live, replay them when it isn't broadcasting something else, and also will broadcast certain select afternoon sessions as well of special interest affiliates. It's going to be an expansion of the mainstream broadcasts at convention this year. So anyone who can't make the convention can tune in and catch at least uh, the significant parts and, and a good flavor of the rest of it. Absolutely, and the broadcast will be at a higher bit rate, either 96K or 128K this year, so the audio quality of the broadcasts will be significantly improved. Chris Gray of San Francisco, California, is president of the American Council of the Blind. Do you have comments about today's program? Send an email message to reports at acbradio.org or write to us at American Council of the Blind, 1155 15th Street, Northwest, Suite 1004, Washington, D.C., 20005. Day Al-Mohammed has been very busy tracking legislation and advocacy efforts for ACB. We caught up with her for this report. 
there are a lot of things we've been doing, and I figured I'd start with some of the nice, simple ones. And the first thing was the line item veto. And a lot of time it's talked about as, well, this is a mechanism to deal with inappropriate earmarks, and it kind of gives the president the, the authority to kind of make changes in legislation. But the problem is with the way this one is written, this current piece of legislation, which is S-2381 and, and House Bill 4890, is that it lets the president cancel any new entitlement spending provision, or he could rewrite or modify or scale back any changes in eligibility, benefits, or even provider reimbursements, creating new categories, distinctions, things that Congress never intended. And what that means is all this time we spend when I talk about budget and how we need to support things for transportation or for Medicaid or for things like that, in one fell swoop, he can scratch it out as if it never happened. And there's no way to change it because it's already gone through Congress. So one of the things we're doing is to try and fight that piece of legislation because it completely eviscerates anything that Congress would intend to do. And it really decreases what we can do to actually advocate for people. Any idea when it'll come up for a vote? We're hoping to kind of stop it before it gets that far, to be honest. Just the fact it came out and there's enough people talking about it is a problem. Because everybody talks about, oh, these are earmarks and every legislator and their pet project. And we don't want to do that. We want the president to be able to get rid of these things. And I'm like, right. But if you give somebody that kind of power, they can get rid of a whole lot of other things as well. It's one of those looking at it in the long run, it could be a very bad thing. And it's how well they market it. They market it as getting rid of the extra slough. And it sounds good, but that's not the way it could play out. One of the other things that we're also dealing with at the same time is um, protection and advocacy for assistive technology. I think last year the Assistive Technology Act was reauthorized and unanimously endorsed by both the House and the Senate, you know, and signed into law, and that's great. I mean, we fought to try and get funding back to this. However, it also wipes out protection and advocacy versus the technology program. And I know a lot of people say, well, it's never done any good anyway, you know, or I haven't benefited from that, or I'm not sure how that even works. But I think the issue is what it does is it provides advocacy to anybody with a disability who has been denied funding for needed technology. And when you think about the fact that assistive technology is linked to every piece of social legislation that Congress has passed, when it's dealt with things like education and employment and independence in any way, shape, or form, when you get rid of the one way we have of fighting back when we don't get it, then that can be a problem. This is separate from the proposal for uh, Medicare recipients to not receive funding for low vision equipment. Right, that's a separate issue, which hopefully I'll be able to talk about at some point soon. I'm trying to put together a paper on that. That way it explains to people what Medicaid has and hasn't covered, because a lot of people say, well, Medicare never has paid for low vision aids. I said, in general, it hasn't, but in a few places, people have gone to court and been able to get those things funded, because it's kind of some places it has and some places it hasn't. Medicare saying, I'm going to decide once and for all, and we're going to say, no, we don't do this, and it's going to overwrite everything. And this is an internal rule, not something that's going through Congress in the case of the Medicare. Correct. The week before last, we had, like, goodness, three or four meetings on emergency preparedness and the American Red Cross. The Red Cross has taken a lot of hits since Katrina. Some stuff they did right and a lot of stuff they didn't do right. And one of the biggest things is they've always operated very independently, and they've been kind of a a closed model on how they deal with things structurally. And I think one of the things that we've been working on is kind of to pry them open a little bit, saying, okay, how are you doing these different things, and why are some things not working? They had a big day-long summit that we attended and, and made a lot of noise about information access, because 
uh, a lot of times they do have some things available for people with disabilities. They do have an official policy allowing service dogs in shelters. Unfortunately, that kind of information and access information is not trickling down to the local levels. I spoke at some state conventions, and while I was there, I decided, I'll give a call to the local Red Cross and just ask them, you know, do you allow guide dogs in your shelters? And out of five separate states, I got no, no, I don't know, no, and one that said, well, actually, yeah, I think we do. That's not very good odds. So there's an internal communication that needs to happen, probably not just with the Red Cross, but as you say, they seem to be in the spotlight right now next to FEMA. We'd love to talk to FEMA if possible. I said, we've been going to meetings, we've been talking, we've been trying. We can't get FEMA to come to the table. Anything to disability, they pretty much have not been present. And it's an ongoing problem with them. And it's one I think that needs to be addressed. We can get Homeland Security to show up. We can get Red Cross to show up. We can get all these other organizations and agencies to show up. FEMA has yet to do it. That I think is going to become a serious problem. One of the things that kind of concerns me, particularly with the Red Cross, is they're starting to really emphasize the training for their volunteers. And they're going to add a a better disability component to that training. And we're really going to improve that. And and that's going to take care of a lot of the problems, which sounds great, except for the fact I said, well, can we see it? I mean, that's what a lot of us little disabled groups said. Well, that's just internal. I said, we'll rewrite one for the public. I said, no, I don't care if it's internal. If this is going to be the rock that you put all your disability stuff on, if it's the basket that you put everything in, then it wouldn't hurt to necessarily let us make sure that what you're telling people is accurate. So there's a little bit of push and shove when it comes to things like that. But one of the things that came out of the meeting was who has what duties? What does the Red Cross do and what does it not do? It doesn't do long-term housing. It doesn't do transportation. And so there are things like that that were made very clear on who has what duties, which I think keeps from unrealistic expectations because in some ways I think a lot of people do have some unrealistic expectations about what they can and can't do. It's important in any situation where you are training people to deal with disabilities that they have some one-on-one with people with disabilities before they are faced with numerous exactly. people. Exactly. And they're basing all of this on this training program that they have that, unfortunately, none of us have seen. And I'm not sure that without a lot of pressure we will ever get to see. At least dialogue has started and we'll see where it goes. This then falls under your advocacy part of your advocacy and government affairs hat, Uh, right? Yeah, actually it does. And just real quick about the minting of the Louis Braille coin, which is Senate Bill 2321. Last week there were three more senators who signed on to the bill, and the total is now about 56. Now that's the bill as presented initially, or the amendment that ACB is proposing? Encouraging. At this point, it is the original bill, so no one has uh, championed an amendment as yet. I saw uh, recently an email from you regarding the video description restoration. Oh, yeah. I'm really excited about that. I think uh, a lot of people probably should be. We had our challenge last month, you know, just to preface everything, and the idea was to encourage as many legislators to co-sponsor Senate Bill 900 and House Bill 951, which are video description bills, and we got eight new co-sponsors on the House bill. We didn't get any onto the Senate bill. However, it must have gotten enough attention because what happened is Senator Stevens and Senator Inouye put forward this giant communications bill in the Senate, and that would be Senate Bill 2686. And it does a lot of amendments to the Communications Act. But what happened is the Senate Video Description Bill, S-900, was incorporated into this larger bill. 
It is actually still in committee. I believe they have hearings on it this week. And one of the reasons they're going to have a lot of hearings and it's going to take time is because they've got a lot of things in it. It's got broadband issues. It's got communications devices. It's got other ADA-type issues. So kind of like how the House has a huge telecom bill, I think what um, Stevens and Inouye are trying to do is to make S-2686 the big telecom bill for this session. It's a good thing that we're in here because if there's going to be a piece of telecom legislation that'll move, it's going to be this because it's a bill that incorporates so many different things. It also means, because it's such a big bill, it's going to have a lot more controversial things in it, and that may make it slow it down in some ways as well. Either way, though, we win because we still have S-900 as a separate bill if we want to try and push it. But by incorporating into this large one, I think it greatly increases our chances of getting it passed. We're still looking at it a little bit because it covers things like broadband and voice over Internet. Those are other issues that I think the ACB needs to look into and say, well, we want to make sure those are accessible as well. We can't just say, yay, we're going to support this bill because it's got video description. We need to also look at some of the other things in it. And that may make this all a lot more complicated. But either way, we win because it was thought important enough to be added to that. There is a big public hearing coming up with the Interagency Committee on Disability Research. Actually, I think it'll be interesting because one of the projects for the upcoming legislative seminar at convention, it's not going to be the way people are normally used to it. It's not just me updating information. I'd like to think you guys, everyone is getting a lot of information. What it is, is it's going to have more of a, of a roundtable discussion type uh, format of what are current legislative or advocacy-related issues for people who are visually impaired, and what are some potential solutions that we as a whole can work on and work toward as individuals and as members of affiliates and of ACB as a whole. One of the things I wanted to really challenge people with regard to that video description challenge was to let people know it has to come from us and the potential solutions have to come from all of us. And part of the reason this um, hearing is so important is it's going to be one of the big first times that I think that would get people to listen with regard to the issue of quiet cars. And we all talk about the idea of concerns about quiet cars and hybrid cars and, and what a danger they can be for people who are visually impaired because we travel using auditory cues and these cars don't make a lot of noise. And so the first place to start is research. And we're saying, fund research in this. Let's find out what is the range and scope of this problem and then what are some potential solutions to it. And I think at least bringing this up as part of our formal testimony is a first big step on the national scale to say, look at this. And then what I hope to do is follow up with that at convention saying, all right, we've all talked about it. What are things that we can do? What are some avenues uh, of action that we can take? And I know that some groups, particularly know some very active people in California, have tried to do this in the past. And one of the nice things is the fact that with the current fuel crisis, hybrid growth has just blossomed to like almost 400% growth in the number of hybrid cars being bought. And so I think because America is recognizing that now, we can find more people who will be willing to listen about the potential dangers. The other thing was pedestrian safety. Last month, House Concurrent Resolution 235, basically it's the bill that expresses the sense of Congress that any candidate for a driver's license has to demonstrate the ability to exercise increased caution when driving in the proximity of a potentially visually impaired person who uses a white cane or a guide dog. Basically, it means if somebody's trying to get a driver's license, they need to be aware that if they see somebody with a cane or a guide dog, that that person probably can't see them in the car. That bill was introduced and championed by Lane Evans from Illinois. And in 2004, ACB honored Evans with an award at the uh, Democratic National Convention uh, for his efforts on that. 
And this last year in February, we presented him with an award at our legislative seminar. Recently, Evans announced his retirement. We thought it would be nice as a tribute to everything he's done and his advocacy uh, on behalf of the blind community, particularly in this area of transportation, and also his support of veterans and a bunch of different programs and services to support them to really reignite our efforts and get going on these legislative initiatives, which would be House Concurrent Resolution 235 and its matching Senate Concurrent Resolution 71. The House one has 22 sponsors, but it really needs a little bit more from the House to get it moving. And the Senate side actually has got a bit further to go because it hasn't been reported on a committee yet and only has five co-sponsors. But we do have a chance of doing it, and we're asking our members to, to not just contact their legislators, uh, but to also talk to the committee chairs and, and the ranking members and saying, you know, bring this bill up on the unanimous consent and send it to the floor. You know, this is Evans's last year to do this. He's brought this bill up, I think, three times now to try and get it passed. So it would be great if he could go out with a positive note on this one. Exactly. Go back now to the legislative seminar at the convention for just mm-hmm. a moment. This is the two-hour session that will occur this year, I believe, on Sunday. Yes. So it will be structured a little differently this year. Right. There are a lot of people who are really active in ACB and who really get into some of these legislative and policy issues. And I think that's a good thing because it isn't just dry, boring legislation. It's things that impact us in everyday lives. And I think these quiet cars are one of them. So part of what I want to do as a format is maybe it's still something that I'm still trying to sort out the exact details, but part of the idea was to set up, let's say, separate tables. And each group of the table might have an issue. One table has quiet cars. One has access to appliances, new you know, technology appliances. Another one might have environmental controls in your house. And the idea is that at that table, people discuss what is the scope of the problem, what are some possible routes we can take to really get it out there and get it be seen as a problem, and also what are some possible things we can do to affect positive change. And what happens is hopefully find a volunteer at the table to act as scribe, and at the end of the session have the scribe at the table say, this is what our uh, table came up with about quiet cars. This is the areas of where we think you could find out more information. This is where we think we can go in different areas on what to do. And what I'm hoping to do is, at the end of convention is to put together all these information for the discussion of the problems and all the ideas of the possible solutions and to create something that says this is what we did, this is what we have discussed, and this is what we think are ways we can step into taking positive action on things that we care about. Dayal Mohammed is the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind in Washington, D.C. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. In order for any organization to conduct successful advocacy, education, and other services, regular organizational funding sources are required. Dr. Ron Milliman of Bowling Green, Kentucky, is the chairman of the Monthly Monetary Support Program Committee for ACB. He recently spoke with Marlena Lieberg of ACB Radio about this program. Hey, Ron, how are you? Doing just great. Thought I'd call in and see if uh, we had time to talk just a little bit about the MMS program. Boy, we absolutely do, and I think it's a great idea, so go for it. Well, all I want to do is just tell everybody that we have a program called the MMS program. It's a monthly monetary support program, and it's a way of funding ACB, and uh you know, it gives us an opportunity, each one of us, to do our fair share at uh, funding the organization. 
and pitching in and, and helping. And it doesn't make any difference whether you can only afford five dollars a month or, or you know, as little or as, or as much. It, 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 the amount is not important. It's, it's what's important is that we all participate and we all uh, pitch in to help ACB. Now we made a change not too long ago that has really uh, made it more attractive the MLS program to more people, and that is that now. When you apply or enroll into the program, you can designate up to as much as 50% of the net proceeds to affiliate of your choice. So Marlene is using you purely as an example. If you were to enroll, say, for just to use a figure $10 a month, you could uh, designate up to $5 of that amount per month to go to affiliate of your choice, say, the Washington affiliate. And that's pretty nice. That's great. It's a win-win situation. Well, it's what we call the two-for-one, where you're able to support two levels of the organization with one contribution. And it uh, makes it handy, convenient. And uh, we set it up automatically, so you don't have to do anything each month. It's set up so it's either automatically withdrawn from your your bank account or your credit card. And uh, just uh, to be perfectly frank with you, the credit card method's a little bit easier because it requires a little less information in, in the application process. But they're both uh, uh, fairly easy to set up. Now, can we apply online? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. matter of fact, the forms are on acb.org, and you go over and you have your choice whether you want to set up through a, a bank withdrawal system or a credit card withdrawal system. And uh, the forms are all there. You just fill them right out online, walk you right through them. And uh, at the bottom it says submit, and you submit it, and... Uh, upon the submission, you get a, uh, a autoresponder response back uh, confirming that uh, it's been received and, and expressing our appreciation for your help. This is a nice, easy way for us to support ACB and support, as you say, the affiliate of our choice. Um, once you set it up, these uh, automatic withdrawals are... Just very painless. They happen pretty much the same day um, each month, right around the same time each month. And um, once it's set up, it's just done. And what a huge benefit those well, dollars will offer. The the forms even allow you to select the, the day that you want it uh, taken out of your account. For instance, we have either the 10th or I think it's the 10th or the 22nd, I believe, of the two dates that are designated. So you can either designate the 10th of the month or the 22nd. I believe those are the two dates. Don't hold me that, but I think it is. So, you know, you even have some some uh, control there. And then, of course, not only do you have control when you start it, but you also have control when you stop it. If your situation changes in a year or, or a couple years down the road or whatever, and you say, well, I need to discontinue this, well, it, it can be discontinued very easily as well. So there's a lot of flexibility to it. And everybody that's a member of ACB should try to support the organization as much as you possibly can. Now, we fully understand that there's some people that, frankly, are really, really strapped, and we know that. You know, if you're on uh, SSI or SSDI, and that's your sole uh, source of support, and uh, by the time you pay your rent and your food and, and probably some uh, prescriptions and, and a variety of other things, uh, you don't have much left, and we understand that. But not everybody's in that situation, and a lot of our members 
could do a great deal more to help support your organization and what they do. If you can do it, then we highly encourage you to do so. And ACB sees the full amount of your donation, is that true? Well, the organization sees the full amount. In other words, there's not a third party that's going to take a big chunk of it or anything like that. You know, there's a lot of fundraising programs out there where there are telephone fundraisers or various other fundraisers where, frankly, ACB sees a relatively small percent of the totals that's, that's donated. In this case, ACB sees nearly 100%. I say nearly 100% because there's a slight processing fee possibly involved with credit cards, something sure, like that. Sure, sure. So, but that's extremely tiny. And so, for all practical purposes, ACB sees 100% of it. And you split that between ACB and affiliate of your choice if that's what you want to do. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports. Connecting the blind community around the world, this is ACB Radio. 